You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you guys haven't picked up a boot yet before the rut hits, if you're in need of a boot, you need to check out the Alpha Burley Pro. It is waterproof from top to bottom, and they're great for crossing creeks or walking through wet grass. And depending on what part of the country that you live in, they come in a variety of insulation options. So if you hunt in the south, you may not need any insulation. Or if you hunt in the north and you need a lot of insulation, uh, they come in a variety. They also come in a variety of camel patterns, uh, from plain to your favorite camel patterns from like uh, Sitka and other, other brands. So check out the Alpha Burley Pro today at lacrossefootwear.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, everybody, here we go again. We got another episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, fired up and running as we speak. And today we have a really, really cool podcast. We're going to be talking with Noel Gandy, and he's going to talk us through how to approach hunting pressured bucks, hunting pressured deer. And uh, it's it can be tough sometimes, especially when they've been pressured by outside sources like other hunters or uh, natural sources like predators or are they do those deer live on a working farm or are those deer pressured by you know hunters coming in the first time the entire year to hunt Uh, today's podcast covers how to approach that what you should do strategy tactics and uh, hopefully by listening to this you guys may get some ideas to run through your own head on how you can approach hunting uh, a pressured deer or if you if you spook a deer and you want to try to find them again uh, this podcast may help you so that's what today's podcast is about but before we get into the podcast man it's opening day in Iowa and or it's opening week I should say and I don't know about you I'm fired up although I haven't had the opportunity to get in a tree stand yet because I've been busy at work I have three kids and I have a very busy wife so I have to basically save my brownie points for the right weather conditions and those weather conditions haven't hit yet Um, so I'm excited to get out there when the opportunity presents itself and this is just a good opportunity for everybody you know who is listening right now calm down take a deep breath and remember your safety harness because as we start rocking and rolling, climbing up and down trees, there's times where our excitement gets the best of us and we forget. And sometimes if we forget our safety harnesses in the past, I'm just as guilty. I've hunted without it and I've had some pretty close calls over the years. And now I will not hunt without a safety harness period. I go back to the truck. So just a friendly reminder that we all should take the time to make sure we have our equipment in check, specifically our safety harness. So I just want to, basically that's your public service announcement for, for today, but I hope you're ready 
Here's the drum roll. Here's today's Hunting Pressured Bucks podcast with Noel Gandy. Enjoy. All right, everybody. I'm here with Noel Gandy. How are you doing today, Noel? Doing great, Dan, man. It's great to hear from you. Yeah, you too, man. So uh, it's opening week. We're recording this opening week here in Iowa, and uh, October 1st was on Monday. Have you been out into the tree yet this year? You know, I didn't think that I was going to get to make it out yesterday because of just some hairy weather, but I did get out uh, yesterday evening. Uh, the last oh, two and a half hours of daylight, and it was just an awesome sit. Just nice to be back in a tree stand, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. That's To be honest with you, that's what I'm looking forward to the most is just getting out there <laughs> and not being – like in my house this i know that sounds bad but not being in a cubicle not being in my house just being out where it's just me and nature and there's something about that i'm telling i'm telling you if you got a sickness go outside and sit in the woods for a little bit it's gonna help you (laughs) it'll cure it well the weather was really nice too it cooled off to the low 50s i mean it didn't seem like october one you know so yeah boy i I was uh my neck was swelling up just sitting there (laughs) yeah i tell you what this october and i I've just only looked at the two-week forecast. It looks like it's going to be cooler than average for temps. Yeah, it's looking cool. It's uh, I, I was just checking it myself. It's looking really damp, though. So yeah. uh, I'm anxious to see how all this uh, precipitation is going to play into to the deer track. Yeah, yeah. I think, if anything, it's probably going to bump it up a little bit. We can only hope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us what part of the state you're from and what do you do for a living? I'm in southwestern Iowa uh, in Shenandoah is the name of the town. And uh, I'm actually a, a pastor, a uh, church planter. My wife and I moved here with our kids uh, a couple of years ago from Mississippi. So uh, a fairly new resident. Uh, this will be my third hunting season here in Iowa. But, uh, man, I've been coming to the Midwest for 10, 12 years now uh, hunting deer. So it's nice to be a resident, let me tell you, man. It's awesome. <laughs> so was was that a pretty big jump from moving from Mississippi to Iowa as far as quality of deer, number of deer? Oh, my, my heavens. Quantity, there's no comparison. I think Mississippi just blows uh, – the amount of deer that you see out of the water. However, quality, there's, Iowa is, is like no other place I've ever been. I've been in Kansas and Missouri and Illinois and Iowa, just the, the big deer here are unreal. And, uh, so, I mean, it's just a difference in nutrition and soil. Uh, I often joke that, you know, all Mississippi deer have to eat on is a pine cone. So, uh, <laughs> Uh, which is not necessarily the truth, but it seems like it. Right. And, uh, you know, a mature buck can be 180 pounds where I'm from. Right. And uh, last week, my son killed his first deer during the youth season, and it was a one-and-a-half-year-old deer that was 180 pounds. <laughs> so it's just right. It's unreal. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. I'm, I'm, I always like to talk uh, to people about their first experience in Iowa. And you being fairly new how how new to iowa are you when did you move to iowa april of 2016 is when we 
uh, officially made the move. I've been coming since the first part of that year, but I mean, we're, we're not even over three years as full-time residents gotcha. so was, uh, in Iowa. That, that was my first experience being in Iowa, honestly. So was 2016 or 2017 your first year in a tree in Iowa? Yeah, six, 16 was my first year. And, uh, and honestly, it was, I, I don't even know how to explain the, the apprehension that I had. <laughs> because, I mean, hunting, hunting is, my, is my life. My lifestyle outside of my work with the church, you know, I want to be hunting something. And uh, I got here and I was thinking, I'm a resident now in a state that people just, you know, often kill to get a tag. And I don't have anywhere to go <laughs> so, other than, you know, public grounds. And, uh, but, you know, I was blessed to be able to, uh, to get some permission on a, on a farm. And when, I, when the farmer said, you can hunt my farm, uh, and it's about 240 acres or so, man, optimism was at an all-time high. <laughs> but when I took an aerial map and looked at it, I realized there was not a single tree on the farm. <laughs> so, I uh, I had to get creative, that's for sure, to hunt right. the to hunt the place. So, on that first season, did you uh, did you see many deer? I mean, did you see like because a lot of people like a lot of people I've talked to, let's say from Pennsylvania or Michigan, right? They come they come to Iowa and they see a, their first hundred and twenty incher. And yeah. <laughs> they, they want to shoot it, right? They're like, oh my God, right. that's a big deer. When Iowa residents would say, okay, buddy, be a little patient. Did you have to talk yourself right. off a cliff at all? Oh, no. Uh, I mean, it's to me, it's a thrilling experience. Anytime you see a, a quality deer, a poking young deer, I mean, they're all, they're big. But like I said, I've, uh, I think in 2006 or seven, I, my, my brother and my dad and I started making trips annually to the Midwest and, uh, mostly in Kansas. So I, you know, I have some experience with, with big body deer uh, and, gotcha. uh, and for, fortunately big antler deer. I've, I've had some great opportunities and killed some really nice deer, uh, with archery gotcha. and rifle, you know, equipment. So, so it's not like you, it's not like you moved to <laughs> Iowa and you were a stranger to big deer. You had you had had oh, your my. fair share of encounters uh, throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I've, uh, like I said, I've I've been blessed, man. I've I've killed a uh, a Boone and Crockett deer and then several Pope and Young deer before we moved. And uh, not you know that's just a testament to the quality of deer in the Midwest, right? And uh, right. not not my great hunting expertise by any means. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, welcome to Iowa. Um, and, <laughs> and let's, let's talk about this article that you wrote for the October issue of the Iowa sportsman. And I think the title of it was hunting pressured deer. And as we all know, right, the, there can be some times when you got to get creative, you got to be patient, especially if you're sharing a property, um, with other hunters who are putting pressure on it uh, on on deer on the deer herd or you're on public land and there's additional pressure on the deer herd so let's just uh, first thing i want to talk about is a very high level right so talk to me a little bit about what this article is all about yeah i mean it's that's that's pretty simple just some strategy to uh 
to be able to get a deer, uh, especially if your access maybe is limited or you are sharing a property with, with other people, this is not a, you know, this isn't the Bible by any means. To, this is going to definitely bag you a buck, but you, you probably can increase your odds. Uh, these are ways that I, how about this, that I've increased my odds. Gotcha. Over yeah. the years, especially, uh, again, a lot of my background is in, is in the South, the deep South, where there, there are a lot of hunters. Everybody's a hunter, I think. <laughs> and so you do get different, you know, ideas from, or, or different pressure from different areas. And to me, you have to define pressure and, and what it means and then kind of understand, you know, all pressure isn't bad pressure. And right. so you kind of have to understand that. And I basically walked through, oh, four or five points of things that have helped me from, you know, hunting during low traffic times. If you have that option to, to kind of be in the woods when someone isn't, uh, to, to try to get off the beaten path or, or basically away from where you think the most pressure is going to be. Again, I don't think we're ever, even hunting, even hunting private land, I don't think you can, can, can avoid all pressure. I, I mean, just different things are going to happen. Uh, kind of get creative. You alluded to that. The very first year that I hunted, again, I told you there wasn't a stick of, uh, of a tree on that farm, but thankfully it butted up to a, a nice block of timber, and I was able to do some observation during the summer and see where deer were kind of traveling and uh, was able to sit in a ground blind in the corn. Uh, and catch deer going from from bed to feed and uh so that was you know that was something that i can speak to as far as getting creative and and maybe not doing a typical you know what you see on tv kind of hunt you have to kind of get in there with them right and uh and then just kind of watching uh weather and things like that understanding that bad weather can be a good friend. I think that was even, even a line that I used maybe in the article. Uh, if something's getting highly pressured, uh, it kind of goes back into that idea of being there when the people aren't. And, uh, you know, we are creatures of comfort a lot of times. So if you can, uh, kind of put up with some, some precipitation or, just something that makes you uncomfortable. If it's making you uncomfortable, it's making everybody else uncomfortable too. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times, you know, a, a lot of times weekend warriors will just assume not, you know, go rather than experience that kind of discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. And In I think, a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. And I think you nailed it on the head there. It's like, what are you as a hunter going to tolerate? And if you're, you, if you get put off easy by mosquitoes or cold weather, then there's a good chance that you're missing some of the best possible times to be in the timber. You know what I mean? Especially man, mosquitoes. Good heavens, you Iowa. We uh, we got them. I don't know about the rest of the state, but Southwest Iowa, they're like baby chihuahuas flying around down here. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Midwest. I mean, I know to the east of you a ways, um, like the south central part of Iowa had pretty much a drought this summer right but to the west and to the east got some rain and i went out to the timber the other day to check some trail cameras and i'm telling you those mosquitoes were on me (laughs) in a second i know it (laughs) so 
I know, and you, you hate to lay down a bunch of sin or anything with spray at Thermosel. Been my has been my best friend checking uh, checking cameras here lately. Right, absolutely. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about this pressure. So when I think of pressure, I think of two things. One, I think of if I'm if I pressure a particular deer or a herd of deer, I think that they are going to not move until dark, right? They're going to stay put. They're not going to move very much in daylight and they're going to be like almost completely nocturnal. And the second thing I think of is the deer altering their path. So maybe they're still going to go from point A to point B, but they're going to go a different route from point A to point B. They're not going to go where you're hunting or where somebody else is hunting. They may skirt you. They may go downwind or flank your position. Right. So I want to talk about some of those, some of those things from a strategy standpoint, because I don't ever think that if a deer, like I don't ever want to give up on a deer. Right. If, if they're pressured. Right. So from a, and let's start with the first one I mentioned if you're getting trail camera pictures of a deer that is pressured and he's, and he goes nocturnal or he's already nocturnal because of pressure, what have you done in the past to try to put yourself in a better position? So to, so to speak. I believe that there are two schools of thought. Um, well, first, uh, even backing up before that, you can define what pressure really, really is. What you're, what you're describing is, uh, is unnatural pressure, which is like human intrusion right. or if someone's pet gets loose and, and runs through your property. Uh, those are things that, that deer might not be so accustomed to as opposed to what we would consider like natural pressure. What are here in Iowa would be our farmers and, I don't know about you, but we have a serious uh, predator problem uh, here in my part of the state. Things that are trying to to move the deer around. However, even though that's a problem, the deer are still used to it. They live with it every day. Right. Uh, you know, natural pressure could even be, I don't know, water rising up in a certain area or highway traffic or things that they're used to. So what you're describing is unnatural Right. Pressure. And uh, I've heard it. I, I've kind of seen it put two ways. One, you either try to avoid all pressure or either you like really go and pile on pressure. Right. And, and to kind of desensitize deer to it. I am not in a position to to go check my farm that I have permission to hunt every other day. Right. Or, or something like that. And so that's kind of out for me. And I think that it would be probably for. For, for most people, especially if you don't own your your piece of ground that you're hunting, so man, I really really pay attention to to scent and to your path into your your camera or your area, uh, trying to avoid high deer movement times of day. I mean, is a is a great way to keep from bumping deer. But man, scent is such a big thing because it stays after we're gone. Yeah. Uh, to me, and, and I, the more I can avoid letting the deer know that I've been there, the better off I feel about things. So rubber boots, uh, you know, clean gloves is, is often a big thing with me. Um, we're never going to be able to alleviate all scent 
but that's a, I don't know, that's just a big kind of point of emphasis for me. So basically what you're saying is the first thing you need to do is make sure that you are not the reason for the unwanted pressure, the unnatural pressure. <laughs> well, if, if you can avoid it, I mean, if you're going to go put a trail cam out, I wouldn't go and put it, but just me personally, I wouldn't go put it in his bedroom. Yeah. You know, I'd put it around around some natural feed or where deer are just going to be naturally. Right. But where I can get in and out very easily without disturbing a whole lot, uh, just to kind of get an inventory maybe of what's there. Yeah, I, I don't want to put any more pressure on the deer than they are already giving on a natural basis if I can avoid it. Right. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So going back to that then, you know, if you're checking your trail cameras um, and you try to be scent free and whatnot, but what about when it comes time to hunt, right? right. How do you know if, I don't know, I know, and I know this is kind of a tough question to answer, but how do you know if the pressure that you're going, like when you go to your tree stand, how do you know if that's doing damage if you're not actually encountering the deer that you want to encounter? Yeah, that is tough. I, I mean, if you're encountering deer, just in general, uh, whether it be does or young bucks or, or whatever, that's likely a pretty good indicator that that you're okay, I would think. Uh, big mature deer, man, they're they're just wily. Yeah. And so oftentimes they're not, you know, and, and, and unless we're talking about getting into the rut, oftentimes they're not moving a whole lot. So just because maybe you, you didn't see him uh, doesn't mean that he's not there. And so I, I often would gauge if I'm over hunting a spot because I mean, I don't have a ton of places to hunt. So if I want to, that's kind of a solace for me. I go out hunting, uh, just as much to get away from life as I do to, to kill a deer. So I want to go, but I know if I'm over hunting a spot, if kind of the well starts running dry just with deer movement and activity. Right. Uh, I gauge, I gauge it a lot on that because man, a mature doe is just as, is to me is just as wily as a mature buck. Right. Uh, and, and it'll pick you out in a heartbeat. <laughs> so you, you know, if you, if you spook mama, you might need to, to give it some time to kind of cool off in that area. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, I've seen, <laughs> and we all know, uh, you're in a tree stand, right? Mama comes through, she starts blowing. <laughs> And she runs just outside of range and she blows for the next hour <laughs> all yeah. the way down the ridge. I, I like to take that Kip Campbell approach from Red Arrow, man. He, he racks them and I, <laughs> I kind of almost have that same uh, mentality. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. All right. So, but yeah, it's, uh, so when, so when we're, you know, we have to, so we have to be cautious, right. Of our access routes. Is there any, you know, you, you mentioned scent, but there, is there any extra precautions that you are taking on your access routes, um, to make sure that you're doing, you're, you're leaving the, the smallest footprint possible when coming in and out? Yeah. Well, like I said, rubber boots for me are a big thing. I, I get poked fun at quite a bit because people, you know, uh, they, they make fun because I'm always wearing rubber boots when I go hunting, even if it's not wet or rainy. To me, that really helps cut down on some of that. I have a I have an experience with a fella uh, or just kind of a 
uh, a story about that from a fellow named Brian Holloway. He was, he was sharing with me that he was hunting a big deer and he was taking all the precautions. He was even walking a Creek, like in the water yep. to, to stand as close as he could to keep from laying down scent. And whenever he came up the Creek bank, he grabbed hold of, uh, I don't know, a root or something, uh, to help him pull himself up. And, uh, he said the deer that he was hunting was walking that creek edge, uh, chasing chasing the doe maybe. I, I don't remember the exact detail, but said that the deer stopped and smelled the, the root or the, the little sapling that he had grabbed onto uh, with his with his gloved hand. So he didn't spook. He didn't, you know, it was just something unnatural to him. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Some people would disagree. I, I'm kind of a fanatic about, uh, you know, keeping your bodily functions to yourself, you know, right. out of your area. Uh, just different things like that to try to make yourself as invisible as possible, I, I think is the best way. Uh, also, just to, again, this is almost going to sound um, counterintuitive to that, but almost this goes for checking cameras now, not so much hunting, I suppose, unless you're hunting with a partner, but having someone drive you in to your area. Again, this is sounds counterintuitive to what I just said is trying to be a ghost, but if you can do any kind of natural like farm looking activity, uh, I have found that deer don't really respond to that. They'll just kind of, uh, lay and watch a tractor or watch a four wheeler go by a, a lot of times. Now you can't do it a ton, but, uh, maybe having someone drop you off. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't know if that makes sense. I know in one breath I said, you know, be a ghost and the next breath say drive to your stand. <laughs> well, and again, if, it, it all depends on that pressure that those deer are used to. If you're, if you're hunting on yeah. an active farm, I think it would be a great bet to have uh, someone drive a truck within, you know, 20 yards of your tree stand. If you're, let's say you're hunting a field edge. On the other hand, if you are uh, hunting on a farm that has no livestock, no active farming and a truck pulls up, they're going to notice that. Right. So that, yeah, that's, that's probably the time when you need to be a ghost. That's the unique thing about, about hunting. I and mean, it's just like anything, I suppose every, every situation is unique in itself. And uh, you really have to kind of, just be a woodsman and maybe play the game and figure it out a little bit all along yeah yeah absolutely so what about cover sense what's your take on cover sense uh i believe that uh you know a lot of the synthetic things are, are really good take take the precautions you can i i'll try to take a shower and uh just be clean as i can and uh spray down the wind so Dan, I mean, it's it is the is the greatest tool that we have yeah. as far as masking our scent. Uh, playing the wind is is so important. Uh, we need to take every precaution, you know, that we can, especially if you're hunting a mature deer. Now, if you're just out for meat, uh, you can get away with a little more uh, with with immature deer. But if you're hunting a big mature buck, uh, you know, playing the wind is so important. Uh, I, I like to use scent as far as deer scent goes, kind of as a cover scent. Um, 
and so I'll spray some buck bomb or, or something after I get into the tree and almost just try to mask myself as much as I can right. to, to give them something to smell. Even in the, uh, you know, even in pre-rut or, or early season, uh, using some kind of little odor, maybe to pique their curiosity away from you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's helpful. Well, I tell you one thing that I've found that is, I feel it works, right? And it kind of goes against trying to stay scent-free. But I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that stuff called Nose Jammer. Oh, yeah. You ever heard of that? It's like a vanilla type. It's a vanilla extract smell. Dude, I spray that. So I'd spray that all over myself now when I walk to my t- really? yeah, walk through the stands. And then I spray it on my tree. And then what I've noticed is that when if a deer does come downwind to me, right, you, I try to not have that happen. But if it does come downwind to me, the, it hits them like a ton of bricks. Like when you walk into someone's house who's a smoker, they could be yeah. they could be cooking pizza, but the first thing <laughs> that you smell is cigarettes. You know what I mean? Right. I've I've not used it, but but you uh, but you've had some luck with it, huh? Yeah, I've had I've had real good luck to it with the point uh, to the point where I'm pretty aggressive on my exit and entrance strategies now, where. I will run the risk, and this this sounds dumb, but I will I will spray that on my equipment, on my boots, on my clothing, and whatnot. And if I have to get to a tree stand that might have a wind that might blow to where some deer are potentially bedding, I'll I'll just hustle right through that area to my tree stand, yeah. knowing that my scent blew in, but knowing that the first thing that they smell is that nose jammer, and not necessarily wow. me that then I can get away with it. I feel. Hey, I'm all for it, man. Yeah. I've heard, uh, not to try to be a, a salesman by any means. I've not really used the product, but I heard yeah. some people that swear by, yeah. uh, what's it called? Evercom. Oh yeah. I've like heard that. about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, I've not, I've not used it and I certainly can't speak to it, but there's, you know, some people that they won't go hunting without putting the deodorant looking stick on their, on their tree, you know? So, <laughs> right. I, I don't know. Different, you know, some companies are trying to make a buck and some companies are trying to kill a buck. That's what I kind of always taken for it. So if you find something that works for you or that you're comfortable with, shoot, man, use it. I'm happy to hear that about those, Jim, but I'm not against trying it. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think you should, man. Um, and like I said, I have no affiliation with them either. I just, I, I, I buy <laughs> like, I buy the, the big can of spray at the beginning of every, every rut. And that's what I use going in and out of the woods every single day. That's right. All right. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about access. Um, I want to like, this is kind of morphing into strategy a little bit because, you know, as hunters, especially if we're hunters in Iowa, we have, you know, we have the ability to chase some really special animals uh, to the point where, you know, guys like myself, have a certain criteria of deer that they're after every year, whether it's a, right. you know, it's a four-year-old or a five-year-old, or it's, you know, 140, 150, 160 plus inches, whatever. We have what I'll say is a hit list put together. And, and I want to yeah. talk about hunting, let's say one specific deer, right? And oh. <laughs> le- yeah. And let's even, let's even go a step further and say we've, 
we know trail cameras are telling us where he's at, but we feel he's pressured. How would you go about trying to work around that pressure to try to get to that particular buck? I had this exact experience last year where I'm hunting one deer that, uh, that I am not the only one hunting. I'm the only one hunting that farm, but we found out that this deer has a pretty big home range. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, it can be a joy and a delight and it can also be a, uh, a heartbreaker because I actually arrowed the deer last year, 180 plus inch, just giant and, uh, and, and lost him. I actually picked him back up on camera a week or two later. So we know he made it, uh, but I said all that to say, so you can feel sorry for me, apparently. But also <laughs> to, uh, uh, to say, in a perfect world, you would have a farm or, or access to a place where you can make all the necessary adjustments. In my experience, I had this certain farm that this certain deer just happened to be coming through occasionally. It was like a runway for bucks during the rut. And uh, I, I kind of just had to take the, the the hand that was dealt me and and hunt that deer, letting several other deer go, knowing that, that this big guy, he may or may not show up. So, like you said, it, it's almost to the what what standard are are, are you trying to uh, to get to with your with your hunting? I'm probably like you. I've, I've killed enough deer now that I can, I can be a little more patient and, uh, and I want to kill mature deer now. Uh, whereas in, you know, 10 years ago, uh, calcium above the ears, man, I was, I was excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, as far as hunting the pressured deer though, you, you need to use the pressure to your advantage if possible. Uh, my the instance that I was in the deer was on some public ground as well as private ground uh the public ground it has some deer hunting on it but a lot of duck hunting happens on it and I knew someone was hunting the deer on on the public side of it but when duck season rolled around and and we started having a lot of duck hunters in I started hunting that end of the farm closest to the public ground a lot because I realized that every morning they were going to start going boom. And that deer, even though I really think he wanted to be on that public ground because the, the habitat's kind of built more for bedding on that side, he was coming out of it. And uh, so I kind of tried to use the pressure to my advantage and, and kind of hoped that the, the other people hunting this deer maybe weren't taking all the precautions that I was taking. Now, granted, it's not my deer. It's, it's, the world's deer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I shouldn't have taken, taken it so personally. Uh, but I enjoyed the challenge of trying to get to him and, uh, and tried to use the pressure to my advantage, understanding that that deer, like you said earlier, they're going to try to escape that pressure or avoid it. And, uh, if I can have a, to, to use a political term, a safe space for the deer to go to, then, uh, 
then I think that I have a little better odds of collecting that deer. I don't know if that answered the question. I kind of got on a rabbit trail there, but yeah. uh, if you need to guide me back on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. I'll tell you what, there's been times in the past where I've been hunting an area and other hunters have either started hunting or I knew they were hunting and they may have fouled up my grand strategy for that area and that particular deer. However, what I I noticed through specifically just observation, and I mean that by sitting in a tree and trail camera information, I was able to understand that this particular buck was flanking these other hunters, right? And he was coming way downwind of them around some other terrain features and staying low and then coming up to the this cornfield from a from kind of a river bottom uh like i don't want to call it a marsh but it was it was river ground that was overgrown and i i learned that and i made a move to flank them and the move i made you know like it worked i didn't kill the buck because he was just out of range through and i didn't get a shot but what what that taught me was that I used that other hunter as almost like a barrier and that if I could get between that hunter and where this deer wanted to go and almost use it as an unnatural pinch point to where this deer would funnel through, not knowing that I'm on the other side of this pinch. Right. You, you try to make yourself invisible and, and you spoke directly to it. You, use these distractions or, or whatever that these deer are running into uh, to your advantage, if you can, yeah. if it's possible. Right. And I say it all the time. If it weren't for other people, I'd be a great hunter. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Now, what about, I mean, this is a perfect scenario, right? We We go in, we set up, oh, my God, here comes the deer. Something happens, whirlwinds. You make a shot. He catches you. Make it make a bad shot, or he catches you. Move. He identifies you, and he disappears. Right. What steps are are you taking after that negative encounter? Whether he saw you move or he got a a whole nose full of you, what are you doing after that to try to locate that deer? Uh. Yeah, you said it's kind of a perfect a perfect storm there of things going on. And, uh, it, it, to me, it kind of depends on the time of year. Uh, if it's really early before the deer start rutting, then uh, I'm probably going to let that place cool off quite a bit because it, it might even adjust my tree stand a little bit. I would probably go ahead and want to do that relatively quickly, maybe even that same sit. Uh, if that's my target deer. Uh, some people get all up in arms about having a specific deer or, or whatever, but just for the sake of this conversation, if that's my target deer, he has spotted that stand location. I'm going to, to probably move that stand, even if it's 30 or 40 yards, because likely his eyes are going to gravitate up that way. If something has either wounded him or, 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 or boogered him a little bit, as I would call it, uh, that's if it's before, if it's before rut, man. If it's during the rut, I, I just about would would be okay with it, uh, simply because when they 
get that one thing on their mind. That's what's on their mind usually. Yeah. And uh, you know he's in the area. And so uh, deer, in my experience and, and in some research that I actually just read today, uh, I'm happy to share some of that. Uh, they have a fairly, you know, usually have a fairly small core area that they're going to be. Yeah. And they want to be there. That's where they live their life. That's their house. Yeah. So they might avoid one part of that house for a little while, but more than likely they'll calm down. Uh, something else is liable to spook them tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, you know, a coyote might come bump them <laughs> uh, the, later that evening. So they might have something else on their mind too. Uh, even though that's the, you know, that one encounter is all that's on our mind. That's not the only thing that's on a deer's mind. Uh, they're, they're thinking about survival. Right. And, uh, you know, if it happened more than once, you know, good luck. I, I, I would say give it another shot if it's just one time deal. <laughs> if it happened more than once, then, uh, then good luck. Iowa is such a unique place, though, that you might get spook one deer and an even bigger one show up. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish that uh, was the case. I wish. I, I do too, but, uh, coming from the context which i'm which i'm coming from uh it's uh, it's been a pretty unique unique deal uh i don't i realized quickly last year uh the first year i was here i, I killed my buck on october the 7th i believe so i didn't even get to hunt the rut uh but last year i hunted the entirety of the rut and the amount of deer that i saw that i had not had pictures of or never had encounter with before blew me away yeah uh you know even young ones and small ones so just depends on how much how much property you have how many stands you have whether you need to hang in there or not for sure yep absolutely so how important do you feel because i know a lot of people they set their ladder stands and they're good that's where they hunt they may have four or five different stands and they hunt there every single day or they're in a rotation right right how important is being mobile when hunting pressured deer? Oh gosh, when hunting pressured deer, uh, I would say be willing to move. Uh, I, I don't just for me personally. Uh, I, I'm kind of one of those guys. I've got my places picked out and set up. Unless I get in the stand and realize that the deer are 30 yards out of range every day, I'm likely going to kind of hang close to my sets. Uh, so the mobility would be with, within the general area of, of where I'm hunting, just because I don't have a I don't have a lot of access. Yeah. Uh, if you have if you have tons of access and you're not seeing deer, then don't be so bullheaded that you don't move. <laughs> right. Uh, to where to where deer might be just thinking that it, they might happen to come by. Yeah, I mean, they might, but, you know, I think it's important to be flexible. Uh, I, for my, my farm in Kansas uh, that, that I hunt every year, we'll move stands two or three times during the eight or ten days that we're hunting there based on where we're seeing deer uh, just because we've got to get it done quickly. We don't have time to sit back and kind of wait on them to come to us. Uh, but my, the farm that I have in Iowa, it's not as expansive. It's kind of smallish. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of where I'm going to be. Yeah. Uh, 
based on terrain and, and access and things like that. So uh, it's kind of dependent on the situation, I suppose. Mobility can be very good, though. Yeah. So this would obviously be the worst-case scenario, right? The deer are pressured, and you've maybe hunted a particular area or maybe even the entire farm, and it's just dead, right? Yeah. When right. How, how do you know, or how should a hunter know, or me or whatever, know when we need to bail and give that pay, place some time to recover? Well, I tell you, it's, uh, that is a bad case scenario <laughs> because, you know, hunters want to hunt and we want to be sitting in a tree stand Yep. Uh, every chance we get. And not everyone is afforded the opportunity to kind of come and go as they, as they please. Some are bound by work and just scheduling demands. But if, if I'm sitting in a place a couple of three times and I'm not seeing any deer, then I'm likely giving it up for a while. Uh, I might leave some trail camera uh, cameras in the area. I like to run several cameras uh, in in one general spot just to kind of get an idea of maybe the movement and the direction and the timing of, of when deer are coming through a location. But if you're not seeing any deer from the stand, I, I certainly wouldn't keep leaving that unnatural, you know, unnatural pressure in there because likely you're not going you're not going to uh again caveat all that with it depends on what time of year when you're hunting uh early season i'd give it up and wait for the rut if you're not seeing anything during the rut maybe they're locked down might be time to get a little more aggressive um so it's it's just kind of what context you're in and if you have any other places to go like i said i know hunters want to hunt yeah and so if you know, if Saturday morning's my only chance to go hunting, I'll be darn. I'm going and I'm hunting. Well, you know, praise the Lord. I'm I'm happy <laughs> if it makes you happy, go. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a that's a tough one, right? Uh, it it yep. all depends on what you want as a hunter, right? We can sit there and say, Hey, my goal is to hunt only one particular deer and I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself in the best position every single time and that may mean a, you get aggressive and you find a way, or B, you yeah. lay off and wait for better conditions. Or the other hand is, I'm a hunter and I want to hunt, and then you got options. And that is, you hunt, risking bumping a big deer, or B, hunting and knowing that and you're just out there to, to enjoy Mother Nature. Well, a lot of that is having realistic expectations, too. Yep, absolutely. If I, you know, I... There's a deer on a farm that I'm hunting this year, and I started running cameras. Uh, July 4th is kind of my kickoff to when I start setting cameras. I, I just look forward to that every year, the week after that. I picked up a buck uh, mid-August, and he's a beautiful 12-point. He looks plenty plenty old. I think it's a deer that I, had on cam- that I actually saw last year that I had on camera last year and uh and he is clear across the section from where i saw him last year the most and uh but i mean great big buck and and uh had him all all night one night he was coming to a mineral lick and 
I don't have another picture of that beer, and it's October now. But hey, I still think about him a lot. <laughs> and I wonder if he's thinking about me too sometimes. But anyway. <laughs> but for me to say I'm going to hunt that deer exclusively, I think that would that would be unwise. Uh, just because, yeah, he's been there, and, and he was there some last year. Not a ton, but some. But I think I need to to garner my expectations on that deer a little bit. Uh, and so if I'm waiting on just the right scenario to where that deer sends me, you know, he sends me a pick on my, on my cell cam, <laughs> uh, I might be waiting all year. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of have to guard your expectations on, on some of that too. Uh, there are some other great deer on that farm. And uh, I'd be super happy with either of those. But uh, for me to pass them waiting on this ghost, I mean, it's it would just be foolish, I think. And now, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he shows back up soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, you just kind of have to weigh your options. Yeah, I got a couple of you like that myself that uh, I didn't get a I didn't get an opportunity to change. So. I have a trail camera strategy, right? So I have my trail cameras set up in the summertime for summer on the mineral sites, um, on some summer food sources. And then typically around the 1st of September, I, I bring them off of the food source and I put them into the pinch points, the um, travel corridors downwind of maybe some bedding areas or some, some fall food sources. Yeah. And I didn't get an opportunity to do that until this weekend on Sunday, the day before opening day. So I knew I, if I wanted that, that trail camera Intel, I needed to move them because you know, we all know that somewhere in September there's this shift, right? As soon as they go hard horned, they're a completely different animal. (laughs) No joke, man. They bust up on those bachelor groups and they've established that pecking order. And, uh, you know, the deer still around, yeah, but they they definitely shift. The beans start losing their their leaves, and you know it's just uh, food changes. I agree with you. It's it, they definitely shift. Right, and especially with the acorn crop that we've had this year. I don't know about where you're at. Oh, yeah, huge <laughs> it, acorn it's crop. Unreal. Yeah, it's unreal. It's great. Well, any final thoughts on hunting pressured deer? Uh, yeah. You know what? I, I referenced uh, uh an article, uh, actually a study that I, that I just came across this, uh, this past week. And I think that it'd be fruitful for me to share some of the info from it. Now I'll be brief, but, uh, it kind of, it gave me a, a great insight and really some encouragement, uh, especially if you're hunting a particular deer, uh, the, in fact, the title of the article was this study may have explained why that big pup disappeared. And it was, uh, the research was done by Mississippi State University's, uh, they have what they call the deer lab. Yep, It's one of the places in the country that do something. And uh, what they came up with is they, uh, they collared, I think, like 55 mature bucks uh, along the river. And, uh, and they just, over the past two or three years, they tracked these mature bucks. And, uh, I mean, what better info can you have than from uh, a big buck? And it, the, the research showed that, 60% of the bucks had what they called a sedentary personality, uh, personality, meaning that they, 
they stayed in a pretty uh, contiguous area. They, they didn't veer out of their home range very much. And then, of course, the other 40%, they were living uh, in a little more spread home range. But this is what they found. Those, uh, of those 40%, they basically shifted their home range during hunting season uh, several miles away. And so, you know, for you and for me, the, the, the big buck, he disappeared. Well, yeah, that's, that could be the case. He could have moved his home range uh, a, a little bit. But six out of ten of them are staying, staying pretty close to their location. They might just go underground a little bit or, or go nocturnal, uh, like you were talking about a little earlier. said that the hunter sightings, which this would be natural, said that they declined like 62% in just the first three days of the hunting season. So when people were really getting in there, like this man, Monday was so primo. I know it got warm today, at least in this part of the state. Uh, and tomorrow it's going to be really warm. So this might not be the case, but if, if there was a whole lot of unnatural pressure, then, you know, clearly the deer are going to be more scarce. But it said, even though, and this is what I thought was cool, Dan. Even though the deer sightings were limited uh, by like 62%, it said that the collared deer, they stayed in the same areas, but they went to the densest parts of those areas huh. uh, to, to avoid the predation, the hunter stuff. But they didn't flee the country, even though they might have been bumped or experienced all this unnatural, unnatural pressure. I, you know, I, I've often have been of the impression that I've spooked a deer. He's gone. You know, yeah. I'm never seeing him again. And that might be the case if you like really, <laughs> really booger him up. But, you know, it said that 60% of the deer just kind of went into cover. And, uh, you know, to me, man, when that rut hits, they're coming out. And, uh, <laughs> so if you can kind of weigh some of those, uh, some of your timing and your wind and they, they are going to be there. Yep. Uh, some, some might not, but, uh, you know, for the most part, they are, they're going to be there. And, uh, it said the research, what, and I'll, I, you know, kind of end with this. It said of all the bucks that were tagged, it said that 100% of them, every single one of them, their home ranges kind of shifted throughout the year. So, uh, even though it might've been a small home range, it did move a little bit from early season to mid season to rut to, to later seasons. Uh, and, and all of the deer changed the emphasis of their home range. So like this giant deer that I'm getting on camera now in early October, uh, I need to be hunting him now. <laughs> right. Uh, unless I, unless I'm consolidated to take two weeks off during the rut and just pound that farm then. I need to be hunting them now. Uh, and, and so I, I thought all that was super interesting. Uh, it's, if somebody wants to look it up, it's on the Clarion Ledger newspaper uh, in Mississippi. It, it is super informative. Uh, but it, it gave me some hope <laughs> that the deer, they don't necessarily blow out of the country, but you might just have to be a little more, uh, lay with them a little more, you know, to uh, put your tag on them. Absolutely. Got to find them. And if you find them, you got to hunt them. That's right. You can't kill them on the couch. That's right. That's right. Well, I tell you what, Noel, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on, chat with us about hunting pressured deer, uh, and let me be uh, 
one of the first to say good luck this upcoming season, and hopefully you get uh, a crack at one of those big ones you're chasing. Back at you, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I want to talk deer hunting with you anytime, okay? And, Noel, I am definitely going to take you up on that offer. Thank you for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and chit-chat with us here in Iowa about hunting pressured bucks. Hopefully you guys were able to take away something from this podcast. Stay tuned because next week we have some more great content coming your way. We're actually going to be talking about pheasants and quail. So if you are an upland game bird hunter, I hope you come back and join us for that. That's one thing that I wish I could get back into. I noticed on some of the farms that I hunt, the quail population has increased and the pheasant population has increased. So um, that was actually, when I was a kid, one of the very first species that I ever hunted was pheasants uh, with my uncle and one of his bird dogs uh, named Cujo. And Cujo is a really good bird dog anyway. But anyway, that's what I cut my teeth on uh, starting was pheasant hunting and that kind of led me down the path that I'm uh, that I'm in today a hardcore deer hunter but uh, that's what next week's podcast is going to be about hopefully you guys come back for that hopefully you're enjoying this if you haven't already please subscribe to this podcast go to wherever this podcast is is can be downloaded wherever you currently download your podcast it can be found on iTunes Stitcher Simplecast uh, any any place you can find this podcast. Just search Iowa Sportsman, and uh, you will definitely find it. If you haven't already, go to Facebook, follow the Iowa Sportsman Facebook page. We got an Instagram page coming soon, and go to iowasportsman.com and sign up to get the magazine. Right, the Iowa Sportsman magazine. Just way more content, great content in the magazine, and it can be shipped right to your door. So there's that. Hopefully, everybody has a great, safe weekend. Go spend some time in the woods, either by yourself or with your family, and we'll see you next week.